working our way around here, but uh, can we just collectively say a thank you to Sarah and John for leading us? Appreciate you, John. Sarah, wherever she went, she's coming around here. Uh, I know that doing a ministry that God's called you to do out of your comfort zone is not easy, um, but I'm so thankful for obedience. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. I'll be sharing about the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry starting next Sunday, a little Christmas series. But this morning, this really felt like the Lord's leading was for us to focus on the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And I actually want to invite you to turn to Luke 23, which is the crucifixion of Jesus. And you might wonder why that's appropriate for the first Sunday in December. With the Christmas season being about Jesus' birth, and about angels, and about shepherds and wise men, about a baby in a manger, about a young woman and her husband traveling a great distance by donkey with a baby in tow, you might think that that's what we should consider for the whole month of December, and you would be right to think that. Christmas is about Jesus' birth. But I don't want to ever forget, and in the same way I don't want you ever to forget, that Jesus' coming was not about being a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus' coming was about being a Savior on the cross. His purpose, His intention, the whole reason He came was not to be remembered as a little child or a little infant in a manger in a nativity scene. The whole purpose, the whole intention of Jesus' coming, His living, His dying and resurrecting was so that we would understand there is only one way to God and His name is Jesus. And it had to go through the cross. So I would invite you to turn there because I'd like to share for a few minutes this morning about a last-minute Savior. Now, I want to ask a confession have any of you ever fallen to being called a last-minute shopper? It's December 23rd. we got testimony all over the back room here. It's December 23rd, maybe even December 24th, and you still haven't bought all the gifts. I know I actually got caught with this a few years ago. It was not of any purpose or any reason. I just didn't get enough time to get out by myself and shop before December 23rd. And so I found myself in the Louisville Mall, St. Matthew's Mall, walking aimlessly like the other men in the mall. Kind of just... You look at the billboards, you look at the advertisements, you look at the other men, where are they going? Maybe they know what I can buy. 
You're looking for anything to give you a hint as what you want to buy. You don't have a list. You don't have a plan. You're doing it all last minute, and you walk into some store. You grab the first thing the lady or the man suggests, and you think you've succeeded until the person you're buying it for opens it. And you're thinking, man, I should have thought about this a little bit more. The laughs tell me that I'm not alone. Some of us have waited to the last minute, and it gets stressful, right? You get anxious. It gets tense. But what if you were waiting for the last minute to deal with God? What if we weren't talking about Christmas shopping? What if we were talking about waiting the last minute to make things right with the Creator? What if we were talking about a situation where over the years you had put off and put off and put off and put off getting right with God and now the days are few, maybe the minutes are few, maybe your breaths are few and you're down to the last minute. Would God, would Jesus accept you if you waited until the last minute? You see, in Luke chapter 23, it's down to the last few minutes for Jesus. And it's also down to the last few minutes for a couple men crucified on both sides. And I'd like to show you today about a last minute Savior. To give you the context of Luke 23... Jesus has already been tried by Pontius Pilate. He has already been flogged and whipped and beaten. But that wasn't enough. They demanded more. In Luke chapter 23, we know that Jesus has now been condemned to be crucified by the crowd. For that, He had to carry a crossbeam from the palace the fortress known as Antonio's Fortress, to outside the city of Jerusalem. We often refer to it as the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. He had to carry a beam and over time he couldn't hold that beam and so at some point they call on a man named Simon of Cyrene who was in Jerusalem at that time to watch and observe the Passover feast. And he's there with two of his sons and he's called out to carry the crossbeam of Jesus out to the place of the skull known as Golgotha, Calvary. And there on that hill, Jesus would have been nailed in his hands and his feet and he would have been raised so that his body was dangling by those nails, by that stoop under his feet that he would lift himself up in order to breathe and eventually he would be would die from suffocation the crowds have gathered there including his mother including a few of his disciples but most of his disciples have abandoned him john's there most believe peter's there but the other 10 well judas has already betrayed him but the other 9 are nowhere to be found His mother is watching. But there's also a crowd gathered. The same crowd that was there just seven days 
or not even seven days before, five days before, the same crowd that were singing Hosanna in the highest and laying their cloaks down on the road as he entered Jerusalem, they're now watching a man be executed who they cried out, crucify. And they're watching. The Pharisees are there. The Romans are there. And there are two others there. Two other criminals. Two other thieves. The Bible calls them robbers. And they're on each side. And there's a conversation that happens between the three of them. I'm going to begin reading in verse 33 of Luke chapter 23. And when they came to the place that is called the skull... There they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the Romans, the soldiers, cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, the crowd stood by watching But the rulers, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they scoffed at Him, saying, He saved others, let Him save Himself. If He is the Christ of God, His chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked Him, coming up and offering Him sour wine and saying, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over Him, This is the King of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals who hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourselves and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. If you'd allow me, I just want to make three observations this morning about a last minute Savior. I'm going to share with you uh, how Jesus showed last-minute mercy on the crowd, how He showed last-minute mercy on the criminals, and how He accepted a last-minute confession. First, Jesus showed last-minute mercy on the crowd. If you look back at the first few verses, the crowd has gathered with Jesus. He has They have followed Him to the skull. They're witnessing this. They're observing this. If you can imagine, this is entertainment to them. This is interesting. It's it's a highlight of their week. Watching someone be crucified is, is a bloodthirst that they all enjoy. The Romans have created this situation where crucifixion was was not only hated, but it was loved. 
The Romans who created the gladiator ring would often crucify people in the middle of the gladiator circle. But in before that point, they would put them out there for animals to attack and for military men to kill. It was a slaughter. It was, a, it was an entertainment. It's the equivalent of watching barbaric acts in a movie and not thinking anything about it. It's the equivalent of playing Call of Duty or some game where you blow people up and you find it to be interesting and fun and satisfying. This crowd had gathered because they enjoy watching what happens to a man on a cross. But Jesus is thinking not about entertainment. He's thinking about their souls before God. He says in verse 34, a verse that I have often thought so deep and so true and so meaningful. Father, he prays. He's speaking to God at this point. He's praying to God. This crowd is watching him. His crowd is mocking him. The soldiers have nailed him. And he's saying to God, God, for their benefit and for their behalf, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's He's granting mercy and forgiveness on the very ones who laugh at Him, mock Him, have called for His crucifixion, who have nailed Him to a tree. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The same crowd that would chant for His crucifixion, the same crowd that would chant His praises, the same crowd that would gather for miracle after miracle, the same crowd that would gather for teaching after teaching, have now found themselves enjoying His crucifixion. Now, certainly some have been distraught. His mother definitely was in a place of misery. But for the most part, the crowd sat there and watched a spectacle of spectacles. And He has mercy on them. Friends, I'm just going to share with you. Some of us have looked at the cross as some spectacle some period of history, some moment in time, some chronological event, some, some act that happened 2,000 years ago, and we take it and we, we watch a movie about it called The Passion, or we watch a movie about it called The Last Man or The, the Son of God. We, we find it to be somewhat of entertainment, to be something of a spectacle. Friends, Jesus would probably say to us, if we were there, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because none of us really understand the depth and the gravity and the absolute pinnacle of time that's transpiring before us that God in His full wrath is placing your sin and my sin on His holy perfect Son. It's not just an event to be watched. It's a dividing line in history. And it becomes the only way you and I will ever be saved. Father, have mercy. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I take hope to know that God knew what He was doing. Jesus knew what He was going through. This was not an accident, friends. This was not some decision by the Roman government. This was not some will of the people. This was the will of God. The Scripture tells us very clear in Isaiah chapter 53, prophesied some 800 years before Jesus was ever even born that there was going to be a suffering servant. There was going to be one that God was going to send so that God Himself could punish so that you and I could be 
forgiven. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6 says this, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the sin of us all. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. Friends, do you know this was not some accident? This was the plan of God. It was the purpose of God. It was the will of God that sin would be paid for by the Son of God. I, I sense you're feeling the depth. I sense that you're gathering the meaning. Jesus came to die for you. He came to die for me. He came to die because that's the only way for any of us to be made right before God. None of us can do enough good to outweigh our sin. We will always have a sin debt. We will always have a sin debt. And there had to be payment made. And it couldn't be made by you and it couldn't be made by me. The sin debt was only able to be paid for by God's Son. Don't you love Jesus? Are you savoring Him today? Are you finding a new place in your heart for what He did, what He offered, what He gave? He gave His life so you could live. Without His death, you would die and live eternity without God. But because He died, and praise be to God, because He rose, you get to live. And you get to live in eternity with God, forgiven of the sin that we all commit because Jesus, the last minute Savior, died for you. He died for me. And I don't know, but I just want to shout hallelujah for a Jesus who died for me. He's a last-minute Savior. He had a last-minute mercy on that crowd. He also had last-minute mercy on these criminals, particularly one. The, the one criminal, verse 39 tells us, yelled at Jesus, reviled Him. Some of your translations will say, He blasphemed Him. He abused Him verbally. It's not just a question of, oh, are you not the Christ? Do something. No, he's actually cursing him. He's re reviling him. The language is strong, friends. It's, it's not pleasant. But the other criminal, and here's what's being said, and fights back on behalf of Jesus. He looks to his other thief and says, Do you know what you're saying? Don't you have any fear of God? We deserve this. We did something and we deserve this. But this man in the center, this man on the cross with this sign above his head that says the King of the Jews, he's not done anything. It seems as though some in this world will still look to Jesus and speak like the first thief. Think you're the king? You died on a cross. If you're so powerful, save yourself, save me. 
it's kind of a, a statement of, I'm in trouble, get us both out of the, the ringer. But a true humble heart, a true repentant heart, a heart that really understands who Jesus is, will recognize everything I've done, I deserve to be punished. And Jesus hasn't done anything. Friends, have you ever considered the fact that every sin you've ever committed, you deserve to be punished? A holy, righteous God cannot be in the presence of evil, sin, and disobedience. Every sin you've committed, you deserve to be punished. I deserve to be punished. But Jesus has done nothing wrong. We often refer to Jesus' life as a sacrifice, and it's important to think that way. Because a lamb that was slain, a lamb that was given as a sacrifice, the lamb in the Old Testament time didn't do anything wrong. I mean, some of you have farms, some of you have farm animals, maybe a cow, maybe a pig. If you do something sinful, you don't kill them for your punishment, for your repentance, for your payment. They didn't do anything wrong. They're a cow, they're a pig, they're a lamb. Their breakfast, their lunch, their dinner. They didn't do anything wrong. A lamb that was slain in the Old Testament time had nothing to do with the people who was having it slain. Do you see the picture? It was innocent, blameless. But the sin of the person is then transferred to the animal. And under God's Old Testament law, He said that the sin of the person would be placed on the animal and the animal would be slain as a payment for sin. But the thief on the cross is telling us, listen, I've done plenty that deserves punishment. I've done plenty that deserves the penalty that I'm now receiving. But Jesus has done nothing wrong. It's a good understanding that we all need to have. We are all sinners. We all have done things that deserve God's punishment. And Jesus has done nothing wrong. He was sinless. He was sinless. Now, if you would let me make just a picture, and it's simple, but maybe that's the most appropriate. If you could imagine that thief on one side, saying, I have plenty that I deserve, and Jesus in the middle, who has done nothing wrong, in the way the Bible explains it, Jesus' rightness, His sinlessness, is applied to us, the thieves, and the sin, the disobedience, the evil that we have done, the corruption in our hearts, the wickedness in our hearts, is nailed to Jesus. So it's an exchange. Do you see it? The evil that we have is nailed to Jesus and the sinlessness that Jesus lived is applied to us. It says it this way, though we are as red as scarlet, we are made white as snow. We didn't do anything to be made white as snow. Who did what required to be made white as snow? Jesus. The Bible says this, though we were sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see it? It's an exchange. And the thief understood it. And the thief 
understood that he deserved what he got. Jesus deserved nothing. And for that purpose, when he comes to Jesus in that last moment, he says to him, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? I can remember a man that I knew and loved that was dying. It's been a few years ago. I was an associate pastor at the time. And his wife, who attended our church faithfully, uh, the family, the children, the grandchildren, all were there. Actually, we lived next door to his daughter. She was a single lady. And he was dying, and the family called me to go visit him. And when I arrived, at that point I was probably 28, 29 years old just new in the ministry. Uh, he had me come in and he immediately put out his hand so I could hold his hand. And he told the family, get out. And you know what they all did? They scuttled right out. And finally the door of the hospital room was closed and this big bear of a man started tearing up. And he said, now preacher, I have some things i got to tell you. And he began telling me about his younger days when he was a wild man. And he was in his 70s at this point. He started telling me about some problems he had using curse words. Swear words is what he called them. And he didn't name them. He told me that as a, as, as a young man, he used to yell at his wife. Yell at his kids. There was a time or two he thought he actually hit her. And he's just pouring his heart out to a 28-year-old kid. And I, in a way, he was wanting me to forgive him of his sin. But I just looked back and I said, Sir, I can't forgive sin. But there is one who can. And as you say this very words to me, I believe God above has heard everything you've said. And while I can't erase what you have done, and I can't remove the sin on your heart, there is a Savior who heard all the things that you just confessed. You don't need a pastor, you don't need a priest, you don't need a preacher, but you need a Savior who can... Remove sin. And he told me about his lackluster faith in Jesus, to be honest. He told me he came Thanksgiving and Christmas because that's the two times they cooked food at church. But other than that, he had not been. But with tears in his eyes and a heart that was ready, I said, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Him to keep His promises? Do you trust Him at His Word? Do you trust Him that He will do what He will always promise to do? And we prayed. And I left. About an hour later, He passed. Now, I don't know exactly the condition of His heart. No preacher, no pastor, no priest can ever know what really is going on in the heart of a man or a woman. But I know there is a God who is gracious until the very end. 
And whether we confess it perfectly or at odds, there is a last-minute Savior who hears last-minute confessions of men who are in their last hours of life. And He is faithful to do what He said He would do. He is faithful that all who confess Him, all who call upon His name, shall be saved. And I believe that gentleman in the hours that left him from this earth, was immediately ushered into the glories of heaven because a last-minute Savior will always hear a last-minute confession. But why wait to the last minute? Why wait until your life is in the very last minutes? Why put off what you know maybe today God is stirring in your hearts? Stirring in your soul. Why put it off? Why wait to the last minute to get right before God? When Jesus says of that man on the cross beside him, today you will be with me in paradise. See, he didn't have much time left. From what we know from the Bible, in a matter of minutes, his legs are going to be broken. The Bible says that both he and the other man's legs were broken so that they would suffocate. But Jesus, in just minutes after this conversation, the Bible tells us in John chapter 19 that Jesus says, it is finished. He offers up his spirit to God and Jesus dies. Now, we don't know the condition of everything, but we do know the condition of these two men. One thief on the cross, from what the Bible tells us, has spent every waking minute from that day until now in a torment called hell. And one thief on the cross, from that very day, from minutes after those confessions, until today, has spent time in the glories of heaven. Because Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus keeps His promises. But why make it so much down to the last minute? Because I think there are probably people here today that have put off and have put off and have put off and have put off God. And today you have heard very clearly enough information to know that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and you have come to the realization that there is only one solution to your sin problem, and His name is Jesus, and He invites you to come and receive Him. You don't have to know the perfect words. This thief on the cross didn't have perfect words. He didn't say a sinner's prayer. He didn't say an ABCs of believing Jesus. He just said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But he recognized Jesus was the King and he recognized Jesus was the answer and he recognized Jesus was his only hope and that's all you have to know. It's all you have to believe. And then you just have to trust Him. Do any of you need to deal with Jesus today? Don't make it a last minute. Make it now. Let's pray together. God, I just ask that whatever you wanted to do today, that you would have done your work. I know you're faithful. I never have to wonder if the Spirit of God is alive and at work. The Spirit is alive when the Word is preached and the people are gathered and your Gospel is proclaimed. And so I just ask, Lord, if there be any in this room who have put you off, that right this moment they would come and repent and call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. 
says in the book of Romans that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, all we have to do is admit that we're sinners. All we have to do is admit that we're in need of Jesus. We have to admit that we've done things that are disobedient, that are wrong, that are evil, that are wicked, and that we, if we were to die, we would stand before you absolutely condemned because we recognize our guilt. But we call upon the mercy of Jesus. We call upon the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, and ask Him to forgive us. That's all it has to be done is a recognition of sin and a repentant toward heart toward God. If that is the decision of any person in this room, I pray now they would respond to Jesus. Pray that they would come and give their lives to Him and be saved by His grace. Move now, Lord, as You, you move, as You deem fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand just reverently, quietly, I'll be here. I'd love to talk with anybody who needs to know the Lord Jesus. We're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of response. Don't wait till the last minute. The moment is now. You